Coming up from mending fences to mending souls, the fascinating story of a local Columbus businessman who was called into the ministry. You're going to hear his amazing story coming up. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Bill Scoggins. And good evening, everyone. I'm Phil Scoggins. This is my initial, the inaugural, the maiden voyage of my podcast, Faces of Faith. And what I'm hoping to do here is to bring in folks in the faith community in Columbus, let them share from their heart about what's going on, whether it be in their church or their organization. And tonight, my very first guest happens to be my own pastor, Pastor Paul Thomas. He's the pastor of Evangel Temple Assembly of God, and we are going to be hearing about his story of how he was called into the ministry, what he has in store for the folks that are not only members of his church, but the folks that you are touching, Paul, through Evangel Temple. So thank you for being with me tonight. Well, it's my honor, Phil. And I want to say how much we appreciate what you do every night. And uh, thank you for your your faith and what it means to us as a church. And uh, we, uh, I, I don't know, you have a way of soothing people when you bring the news. So uh, it's just an honor and a pleasure to be here tonight for the inaugural uh, podcast, too. So I don't think it gets any better than that. It reminds me of uh, the old days of radio. I started yeah. out about 45 years ago, back in the mid-70s in Athens, Georgia, wearing headphones and sitting in front of a mic sort of like this one. So it's sort of a, a flashback to the old days. But Amen. thank you again for being here. And what I'm wanting is for our viewers to be able to get to know the heart of the guy that's sitting across from me tonight. Mm-hmm. So to do that, uh, let's start from the beginning and you're not from Columbus. Tell us about your early years and your background, Paul. Sure. Uh, I was born in Norman, Oklahoma. My mother and father were attending uh, OU, uh, the University of Oklahoma, so I was born there. But then shortly after that, they were divorced, and, and my mom remarried, and we moved to Texas. So I grew up in what I call the heart of Texas. It's East Texas, okay. just southeast of Dallas. And uh, during the summers, my dad, when he got out of the service here at Fort Benning, he stayed here. So during the summers, when we got old enough, my mother would allow my brother and I to come and stay in Columbus in the summertime with my dad. So I would travel to Columbus uh, probably since seven, eight years old each summer. And then the summer before I graduated, my dad asked me to move here and play football for him. He coached at Pacelli. So that's actually how I moved. And uh, that summer at Pacelli, I met a young lady. Her name was Pamela Guest. And uh, she, I fell in love with her very quickly and uh, took me a few years, but I convinced her to marry me. <laughs> we, uh, we just, uh, Valentine's Day, we just got to do a little thing with Pacelli. Uh, they asked for if there was any uh, high school sweetheart stories. So we got to share our story. Just finished 33 years. This June will be 34 years of marriage. And, and two uh, children. Two children. Got a, a daughter who's married in Austin, has uh, a child and one on the way. And then my son, Jared, lives here in Columbus. So. From uh, marriage and and starting a family, you obviously had to support your family. And how did uh, all of that open up in terms of where you you decided to work here in Columbus? You know, uh, we worked immediately. We we were in that day. My dad had a janitorial firm, so I worked for him. (laughs) And and we cleaned buildings at night, and I mowed grass during the day. And Pam actually helped me during our college years. And uh, we saved up and, and bought our first home that way. And but shortly uh, before we were married, uh, I went to work for her dad. Her dad owned a defense company here in town, Best Built Fence. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, he offered me a position. I, I went to school for three years. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an accountant. Finally, uh, I said, you know what, Dad, I just don't enjoy school, and I think I want to go to work. And so Jimmy offered me the job, and so I went to work for him. That was uh, February of 87. And uh, so that's when I got to meet uh, what was a Christian businessman. I'd never been around somebody like him. So it started uh, a real, uh, a real uh, incredible time in my walk with the Lord. Uh, it was a really uh, vital uh, time for me when I joined uh, with him in the fence company. What impact did he have on you spiritually? You know, I, I tell people this. My stepfather taught us how to work hard. He, he grew up on a farm. He taught us how to work hard. My dad taught us how to work smart. All right. He, he will say, Hey, there's a better way to do this. Jimmy taught me how to work with integrity. Uh, and, uh, I, my first day, I, I tell this story a lot. My first day, I wasn't living for the Lord when I went to work for him. My first day I was five minutes late and hung over and I busted through the back door kind of at a, at a pretty good pace. And I got about three or four steps in, and I noticed everybody was standing around in the back room looking at the floor, and it was really quiet. And then I heard Jimmy praying, and I had broken in on the morning prayer. Mm-hmm. So that was my introduction. <laughs> so we started each morning with prayer. And, uh, and then I tell this story a lot, too. I remember uh, one day I was on the phone with a, a potential customer, and uh, they asked, when could you put this fence up if we bought it? And I said, oh, we could be there in the morning. And uh, so we talked, and then they hung up, and Jimmy asked me, he said, did you, did you tell that person we could be there in the morning? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you know we already have this week scheduled out. You already know that. And I said, that don't matter. I, I need to say anything to sell a fence. And I remember he just got up quietly, went over, and closed the door. <laughs> and he sat down, and he said, uh, son, we don't lie here. And I said, we don't? <laughs> he said, no. So he, he began to teach me about integrity because at that point uh, lying was a way of life for me and uh and so he taught me what it meant to be a man of your word and to have integrity in business and uh it was uh it was a great education for me and then he also taught me uh a lot about the lord about how a man could have a relationship with christ i was saved when i was eight years old in kemp texas and i gave my heart to the lord and i meant it Mm-hmm. I walked down to that aisle and I gave my heart to the Lord and Brother Housewright baptized me the next week. And uh but shortly thereafter, uh, we walked away. We didn't go to the church anymore and I, I didn't uh I stopped following the Lord and when I moved out here I wasn't following him. I was uh, a long way from the Lord. And uh but I loved Pam and because I love Pam, her daddy expected me to go to church <laughs> and he uh he began that process of really kind of teaching me about what a relationship with Christ was, and a great, great role model. You go from being someone that um, had drifted from the Lord yeah. uh, to someone that was called into the ministry. How did that happen, and when did it happen? You know, shortly after I uh, came to Best Built, uh, probably after, it was after the birth of both of our children, so the kids came, one in 89, one in 92, I began to feel that pressure. I'd been attending church, 
but mostly going through the motions. Uh, and, and I began to realize, look, I don't have a relationship that Jimmy's talking about. I mean, he would ask me stuff like, are you tithing? And I'd say, no, <laughs> I'm not giving that church my money. So we were having all these talks about faith and, and following the Lord, but I realized I wasn't. And, uh, but there was a time that, uh, I had a real encounter with the Lord and, and I remember that day, I was actually out working, and uh, and the Lord got my attention. And I rededicated my heart to the Lord that day. And what, I t- can you go into any specifics, or well, do you care to? I will, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, actually, I was out at Miss Dismuke's house out. Uh, it was the old, uh, used to be an inn years and years ago. It was an inn in a historical home. I was cleaning a swimming pool. And uh, a storm came up, and it was actually a tornado had come through Columbus. But I ran under her house to take shelter. And uh, that was an old rickety house, and I became convinced it was about to fall in on me because it was creaking, and uh, when I looked out the window and saw the wrought iron furniture beside the pool fly away, I got on my knees at a chlorine bucket, and I told the Lord, I said, if you'll save me, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And uh, so it was just that quick. The storm was gone. I, I remember stepping out and Miss Dismuke and had that southern drawl, Paul, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I am, but I'm going to go on home. <laughs> and on the way home, I actually, it wasn't long after I stepped out, it hit me. I said, you told the Lord that you'd give him your life and you'd serve him every day of your life. And uh, you, he saved you. And uh, I said, okay, Lord, I made a promise. And I drove out of that driveway singing an old song that I'd heard some of the guys singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I sang that all the way home. And that was really when I decided. And uh, now it was still a process. I, was, I had to walk in, but my wife began to encourage me. I began to read and study the word and really develop a personal relationship with Christ. And that led to me becoming a Sunday school teacher. And that led to the Lord telling me at some point, oh, Pam and I, that oh, I want you to serve me in, in ministry. And that was such a different route than we ever expected. Uh, but that was kind of when he, he made that call. It became obvious during those times that uh, I want you to do something different. I remember you sharing how uh, when you were asked about the Sunday school class, um, surely you're not asking me to teach Sunday school. You, oh, yeah. you, 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 there was a pushback there. Oh, there was. I, I remember the pastor's wife said, we need teachers. And we need a second grade teacher, a fifth grade teacher, and a college teacher. And uh, I felt the Lord say, I want you to teach. And so I went and told her, hey, I felt like the Lord said he wants me to teach. And uh, I was thinking the second grade. Because what you have to know to teach second graders, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I wasn't really feeling the pressure then. But then I got a call from my good friend who was teaching the college class. He said, I feel like the Lord wants to teach the college class. I said, no, under no circumstance. I don't, I don't. I know where Genesis is in Revelation, but I'm fuzzy about everything in between. So... <laughs> You, I'm not your man. And he said, no, no. He, he twisted my arm and prayed. And then he and the Holy Spirit ganged up on me, I, I tell people. And uh, I went out to lunch with him, fully expecting again for the third time to turn him down. And uh, somewhere in there, he said, look, I'll help you. And uh, actually, that was the catalyst, feel that the Lord used. I, I didn't know the word like I needed to. But when he said, I'll help you, um, I said, okay. And so I began to teach. Now, He's gone on to be with the Lord. He tragically got lung cancer uh, a few years back. I always tell him, you promised me you'd help me. You helped me for three weeks. He said, no, I was in there for three months. <laughs> so I said, I remember it for three weeks. So when we get to heaven, we're going to know the straight answer to that. But he, he, uh, he did me a favor. 
he uh, he let me he he helped me for a few weeks and then he said okay you can do this and so I began to study the word and really get serious about learning and teaching the word and that's where in those five years the Lord did a deep work in my heart for the love of His word and how to teach it I did not know that I had a gift for teaching I had no idea and I didn't feel like I did then. But he developed that and, and pulled that out of me and showed me. I, I had no idea that it was in there, but he did. And so that's, that's where I learned how to teach and, and the process of dependence on the Lord every time you teach. I tell people I prepare the exact same way now that I did then 20-some-odd years ago. Uh, I approach the word the same way, and that is, Lord, I need your help. I'm, I'm not going to know what to say unless you speak. And I really don't want to say anything unless you speak and you show me in your word what you want me to say and teach. So he, uh, it was really the Lord uh, taking me through the school of ministry, I call it, and how to teach. And uh, I, as I pushed back, I, I know now as he brought me in that way, I kind of didn't have a choice. I had to learn in order to stand up each week. And uh, he used that as a catalyst to uh, get me where he wanted me to be. You had a transition from working for the fence company to coming to Evangel Temple uh, as business administrator? I did. Um, How did that happen? Well, it was in that process uh, that when we realized the Lord had called us, we, it really turned our world upside down uh, because we had no plans. I, I was, you know, I had the fence company, and that's what I had planned on doing. And we really didn't have any anybody inviting us into ministry. So it was really about four or five years uh, was this really difficult time when we knew we were called and people around me were saying, you have a call on your life. And when the Lord gets ready, he'll tell you. So go to school. I was in ministry school, studying online. I had two children in school, so I couldn't go to Bible college. But I was online studying. But it was during that time that the pressure really built. You know, I've told that story about how the Lord brought us into that calling. Before that call came from the church, we didn't have any idea that that would be the direction. Phil, we thought we were going to be in Africa, you know, or, or Asia. Like we, we never dreamed the Lord would call us to the church we grew up in. Because Pam grew up in that church since a child. I got there when I was 18. So we just assumed that it would be somewhere else. And that's when the pressure would build and when we would talk about the ministry and the calling, it just would upset Pam greatly. And, and finally, I, the pressure of not knowing, you know, where we were going or when we were going or how we were going, just knowing that it, it you know, might be at some point year after year that pressure built. And uh, it got to the point where Pam and I could hardly, uh, we could hardly take it. It was just, uh, I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but it's upsetting my wife. And every time we talked about it, she cried. And uh, one particular morning, uh, we were at the breakfast table, and we were talking about it, and she just started boohooing, and, and that's when something in me broke. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and, and I know she saw it because she looked at me, and she said, honey, listen. Now, hold on a minute. She said, before you go, I just want you to know something. I'll go anywhere in the world with you, and I want you to know that. And she said, it's okay. I, I, I'll be all right. And so when I left and got in my truck, I was supposed to go down to Georgetown on an appointment. And when I got in my truck, I just had that moment with the Lord where I said, Lord, I know she would go anywhere in the world. But what I'm afraid of is when the time comes, she won't be ready, and I just can't take that. I never said anything out loud. I was just talking to the Lord. It was just in my spirit and my heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, I'm just, I'm really afraid. 
and I'm just afraid she's not going to be ready. And so I cranked my truck up and went on and uh, called the guy I was supposed to meet. I didn't want to meet him because I just wasn't in the mood that day. And uh, when he answered the phone, I said, oh, man. And I said, are, are, you know, I'm coming down today. I'm sure you're probably busy. He said, no, 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 I want you to come. Come on. And I said, okay, I'll call you when I get to town. So when I got to town, I called him again, praying, Lord, please let him not answer that phone. And he answered, of course, on the first ring. And I said, uh, all right, I'm here. And he said, all right, meet me out. He told me the address. It was way outside of town, and I really didn't want to go. And, uh, but I said, okay, I, you know, I'll meet you out there. And I did. And when I got there, I realized, you know, that somebody else had given, I had given the price on that fence a few years earlier and they had bought it from someone else and he wanted me to fix the gate operator. <laughs> so I said, I'm not doing that. I, I literally put my truck in reverse and the Lord told me, no, you told that man you'd meet him out here and you're going to meet him. And so I got out of the truck and I threw a little fit through the cover off that operator and I looked at it. I saw it was a board. And when Terry drove in the driveway, um, I told him, Terry, this is the board. I'm not coming back out here to fix it. You're going to fix it. I'm going to mail it to you. And about that time, I, I felt the Lord tell me, get this guy to pray for you. And I said, no, in my spirit, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I went on and I was explaining it. About that time, he said, Paul, I'm not very tech savvy. He said, I'm a pastor, and this is just one of my congregants that I'm doing a favor for. And so something in me, when he said that, I became at ease. And I thought, well, that must be why the Lord wants him to pray for me. And uh, so I said, okay, Terry, you're a pastor? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I felt like I'm called in the ministry. I'd appreciate it if you keep me in your prayers. And then I wanted to get back to work. And he said, you've been called? And I said, I think so. And he said, well, let's just stop right now and pray. And I was like, that really wasn't what I had in mind. I was just, it was a cliche, you know, keep me in your prayers. Right. <laughs> but he wouldn't have any part of it. He said, come here, man. And he grabbed me by the hand, and he started praying. And uh, I, the power of the Lord was so present that I opened my eyes to see if we were still on the ground. I've never felt any time since even that time inside as many services I've been in, I've never felt the power of the Lord more powerful. And he began to pray in the spirit. And, and I just, I told him after he said, amen, I said, Terry, that was, that was probably the most powerful time I've ever had in prayer. And I said, I want to appreciate, I thank you for praying for me. And then he looked straight at me in the eye and he said, and the Lord wants me to tell you something. When the time comes, your wife will be ready. Wow. And that's what I, I, I stood there for a moment and said, hold on. I didn't, I didn't tell you anything about my wife. I didn't. And it took a minute for me, and I began to weep. And I said, Terry, how did you know? He said, the Lord told me. I told you. He said, when the time comes. And uh, that's when the Lord set me free. I left there screaming and praising the Lord. And I called Pam. I said, you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready. She said, what are you talking about? And I told her the story. I said, honey, it's going to be okay. And that's really when the Lord opened the door. Then the call came from Evangel to, to come and be the business administrator in December of 2003. But that was, I think, two years after that moment. That, that it still was two years. But the Lord always reminded us when the time came. And, and she was. And when the time came, she was ready. And we... We joined uh, in, in December of 2003, sold the fence company, and, and uh, on December 1st, started at the church. So it was 2003 to how many more years before you were, were called to be pastor? Seven. It was March of 2010, so this March would be 11 years that we've been uh, leading as the lead pastor. So yep. you, had a, you had, during that time span, uh, you worked under uh, lead pastor Rick Collins. Absolutely. 
and that I know was a special relationship and, and talk about uh, what uh, impact that he had on your, on your ministry. It was amazing. I, I was on the board when Pastor Collins came to Evangel Temple, and so I got to be up close in all that transition. And then when I came on staff, um, he did something really remarkable for me as a, as a pastor. He allowed me to get really close. I was in every board meeting as administrator. He allowed me to stay for the whole thing, and, and he, he allowed me to watch him lead really up close. And uh, he, he wasn't a man of a lot of words, you know, it was basically you had to watch him and you had to pick it up. Mm-hmm. But he allowed me a seat at the table. And then he, he also had just what I call crucial conversations with me as a leader. And uh, so watching him, he revolutionized ministry, Phil, at, at Evangel Temple. Uh, there was a huge shift uh, in his ministry. He was there right at uh, a little over nine years. And uh, the Lord did an amazing work. I saw it up front and I watched how methodical and what a great pastor he was during that time and how he dealt with difficult people and situations with such patience. And uh, he he had something that I wanted. It didn't bother him as much what people thought about him as it did me. <laughs> I, I wanted people to think, well. I think we're all that way. <laughs> but, but Pastor Collins had gotten to the point in ministry where it was more important to him what the Lord thought than anybody else. And as long as he knew the truth and the Lord knew the truth, he was comfortable with others, uh, you know, not thinking as well. And so I learned the power of, of, you know, we serve him first. And then there's times in leadership where it's not popular. And I watched him make unpopular decisions and, and lead people through that with gentleness and care. And so uh, that was a huge thing that, and I had no idea that I was being prepared for that spot. Again, that was not on our radar. That was I told our, our board when he retired or resigned, he actually went to the, to the home office and became the district superintendent. And I told him, go find us a really young pastor that's tripled the size of his church in the last five years, and we'll hold down the ship until he gets here. You know, and uh, I always say they circled around on me. And, uh, and so that wasn't something that I felt like he was preparing me for. But when the time came, the Lord, again, was very clear that uh, just submit to him like you did before. And uh, and that was his call that we would become the next pastor. So, Do you remember the night that the vote was taken? I do. Um, I, I do very vividly. Uh, I actually, I remember the two weeks prior to that vividly because my wife had asked me, Honey, do you... Have you ever, has the Lord ever made it really clear that we're supposed to pastor here as the lead pastors? Because we were both now really stepping out. And I had people calling me and telling me, don't do it. That church is really too hard on pastors, and you don't, you don't need to do this. And, and, and I felt like the Lord said to do it. And I, I told her, honey, the only thing that has ever uh, happened that I thought was years ago, before Pastor Collins came, there was a leader that came to Evangel Temple, and uh, he prophesied that the next that the pastor would be called from within, and I thought I heard the Holy Spirit say He's talking about you, and I laughed, and and because I was in leadership, I wasn't even on staff, I wasn't even in ministry yet, and I just kind of laughed to myself and said, "Good grief!" And a few weeks later, someone came to one of our board meetings because I was on the board at that time, and they said, "Hey, this guy prophesied. I think he's talking about me." And I thought, "Well, at least." At least I'm not the only one that heard, you know. So I kind of wrote it off again. And uh, and two weeks uh, before 
the vote was taken, when they announced Pam and I would be the candidates, my spiritual grandfather walked up. And he walked down the aisle, and uh, he took my hand, and he said, all right, son, I'm, I'm really glad that they've called you. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, do you remember the, the morning Lauren Triplett came and prophesied 10 years ago that, that the pastor would be called from within? And I said, yeah. He said, well, the Lord told me that morning it was you. And uh, I think my knees gave away a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, that was one of those things the Lord used to let us know you're on the right track. Don't be afraid. And uh, so then the night of the vote was much more, uh, it was much easier <laughs> mm-hmm. because I really felt like at that time, okay, Lord, you're making it clear. And what was Pam's response? You, you, you were wor- worried would she be ready? You know, uh, ironically, when we were, uh, when we were uh, interviewed, because I, I was asked to put in a resume, which is another story, I'm hard-headed. Uh, my wife, my mother would tell you, and my wife would confirm. And I had made my mind up. I wasn't going to put in a resume. I, I don't know how I did it, Phil, but I had gone through life, and I had never put a resume in for a job. All right? I just grew up in that time where it wasn't as common. So I'd already made my mind up, like, if they asked me for a resume, I'm not going to give them one. And one of my good friends who pastors in this town uh, knocked on my door during this process out at a restaurant, and I rolled my window down, and he said, hey, I just – I want to tell you, the Lord told me to tell you, if they ask you for a resume, give them one. I said, what? He said, if they ask you for a resume, give them one. And I said, okay. And, uh, and they did. A few weeks later, they called me and said, we'd like a resume. And I said, okay. So I filled out my first resume, and I gave it to them, and then they interviewed us. At the end of that interview, we were done. And, uh, and we're almost getting up, and one of the guys said, hold on a minute, hold on. He said, we, I, I need to ask Pam a question. I haven't asked a question I want to ask her. And I said, and he said, Pam, you know, tell us how you feel about this. And, and so she did. And uh, she told him, you know, she felt like this was the Lord. He was calling. And, and the last thing she said was, she said, I feel good about it and I'm ready. So we left. About 5.30 the next morning, I woke up. It's like the Lord woke me up. And he said, did you hear what she said? And I said, no, Lord. What? He said, did you hear what Pam said, the last word she said yesterday? And I said, no, Lord. He said, she said she was ready. And he said, I told you she would be ready. And so, again, I woke her up. She wasn't happy as I was. It was 530. She'll go anywhere with me in the morning as long as it was before, it's before or after 1030. I'll say she's not a morning person. So I woke her up and was telling her, you're, you're ready. You're ready. She said, I know that, baby. I said that. I know the Lord just reminded me. So she was ready. And uh, we stepped in, still uh, very nervous. But it's one of those things, Phil, if the Lord hadn't done those things, mm-hmm. I don't think I could have walked through the door. All right, I'd say I was ready. But the truth is, I was the administrator for seven years, and I was very comfortable. I, I was comfortable in my saddle. Yeah. That Monday, I had to move to the pastor's office. And so I walked around there. You know where it's down mm-hmm. the hall? And yeah. I, I walked through the door. And I got about halfway in, and I literally collapsed in the middle of the floor, cried like a baby. I boo-hooed and boo-hooed and said, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? And then I got up and realized I had a bathroom, a private bathroom. So I went in and washed my face and dried my face, and I walked out and told the secretary, I'll try again tomorrow. I can't do it today. And so I went back to my office where I knew what to do. 
So the next day I did it again and uh, I cried again and I tell people I made it to the desk though. <laughs> and so I tell them now I don't cry on most days, <laughs> but I, I, I say I was ready, but it was still, uh, it's still, and still, I still rely on the Lord, but it was, uh, it was a big, a big move for us. We've talked for almost 30 minutes about, uh, your history and, and what brought you to Evangel Temple. So, uh, let's focus now on the church, and I know I've been coming 25 years. Judy and I started uh, in the mid-90s coming, and I'll tell a quick story about uh, my daughter, India. Uh, we were uh, we had heard that Evangel Temple was, was taking a trip through a friend and, and, and a family friend who said, uh, a group of young people are going to Paraguay from Evangel Temple, and India had heard from a friend of hers about the trip, and so... She asked us about it, and we weren't attending at the time. But uh, I had been to several events at Evangel Temple that Hal Stewart, uh, the music director and, wow. and, and, a, and a business administrator for years. and Amazing man. Precious Hal. He, um, uh, I called him, and I said, uh, Hal, my, my daughter has heard about this trip to Paraguay. Could she go? And he said, Sure, she can go. I mean, she'll be required to do some of the things that the other participants are going to have to do, fundraising and what have you, but right. she is welcome. We will treat her like she's ours. And that trip to Paraguay really impacted India's life. I think she has powerful memories of what happened on that trip. I know Joe Phillips uh, was the youth pastor on that oh, trip, yeah, and yeah. and. uh she and Joe made a special connection uh, on that trip, but but that sort of paved the way for us to consider coming to Evangel and and becoming a part of the congregation, which, like I said, we have now for twenty five years. Wow! Um, but one of the and and so I said that to say one of the first things that impressed me about the church was its commitment to missions yeah, and absolutely. and going and and spreading the word and spreading the gospel. Right. Uh, and share a little bit about, um, I know maps trips, people may not be aware or familiar with what those are, but a little bit of the history about, uh, how those, uh, unfolded at Evangel Sure, Temple. sure. Uh, by the way, Hal invited me on my first maps trip. I, I didn't, I, you know, I was walking down the hall and he said, Hey, you need to go to, uh, on our maps trip. And I said, great. And he said, uh, it'll cost you $1,400 and you have to take a week off work. I said, okay. <laughs> But he uh, he talked he talked me into going in 1995 and and it was a life changing trip, uh, and I I don't know exactly where the trips emanated, but I will say that when we moved from East Highland to up a little further up 12th, and uh, in 1965, uh, Pastor uh, James Hennessy came, and and he really had a vision for missions, and I I believe that's when the trips began. And it started as groups of men, and then and then ladies would go to a certain country, and generally build a church, or a orphanage or something that assisted a missionary that lived there. And then, then that kind of branched out to kids. Uh, you know, we would generally go in the summer, and then later, or actually more of the late spring, and then in the summer the kids would go to that location and do outreach ministry, and and so it became something at Evangel where we were each year we were taking trips and then it turned into multiple trips and sometimes they were overseas sometimes they were in the states and uh and we call them maps trips it's a moniker for um, mobilization I forget what it stands for but ba basically 
it was to assist a, a missionary or a mission on the ground that just needed some help. It generally had to do with building something and then doing ministry at night. Uh, and so we still take MAPS trips. COVID has, has uh, interrupted some of that, but it's still a huge part of our missions uh, our missions drive is to is to go and uh, we've had some just incredible trips. Uh, Israel, not too long ago, was another incredible trip. Even even to the West Bank and Bethlehem to a school uh, where uh, a lot of people were were being led to the Lord. So it's a huge part of our history. Uh, and you know, Evangel has a rich history here. All right, we started down on Linwood Boulevard. I ate at Smoky Pig today, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but <laughs> sure. but that was on Linwood Boulevard. Uh-huh. We started in Nora Jenkins' house on Linwood Boulevard in 1927, and then it moved around on 22nd Street and built a tabernacle. And in 1933, we're incorporated as Evangel Assembly of God, and uh, and and. Uh, then in in the few years later, the name changed to East Highland Assembly, and then they bought a property on the corner of 22nd and 12th and built a church and a parsonage and was there until 1965. And in 65, we moved up 12th, and uh, it's where Greater Missionary Baptist Church is now, uh, Greater Shady Grove Baptist Missionary Church. And and that's when the name changed to Evangel Temple. And then in 1978, we moved to our current location. And, uh, and, And what hasn't changed in that rich history is our commitment to missions not only here locally but around the world. And uh, part of our vision now, all right, is uh, the REACH vision, okay? And, and we'll be celebrating it Sunday night and when we do our uh, celebration service. And basically that, that vision is this, to reach new generations. You know, we're 100, I mean, 93 years old, all right? So we know we, we minister from cradle to grave, all right, every generation. We don't aim at a certain age. But we also know that we're mandated to reach every new generation, and, and they're getting harder and harder uh, as we go. But we're committed to it, and so a huge part of our vision and building is youth. We're in the middle of phase one of our REACH project, building a, an addition to our youth center, all right? And then a huge part of phase two will be a new children's center and uh, basically aimed at continuing our tradition of ministering to kids, all right, because we we start at two years old. When your when your kids or grandkids get to be two, we start sitting around a table and they have time where they start learning the Bible and learning about Jesus, and then it just grows from there. And we have a tremendous dedication, and we're seeing even during COVID, we saw a lot of people saved, uh, almost as many as we did the year before. It's it's uncanny how the Lord continued to give us favor that people were being saved all over the city, all over the place. And, uh, and then the second part of that vision is reaching beyond Sunday. And that's our commitment, not just to meet on Sundays, but everywhere in our community have had to have impact. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day is that we're the church all the time. And so we're new outreaches, new ministries. That's part of that vision. And then the last part of that vision is reaching beyond our borders. That's the missions part you were talking about, mm-hmm. where it's not only Columbus, we have over 100 missionaries and dozens of ministries that we support right here in Columbus, it starts. We have missionaries on Columbus State campus. We have ministries in town. You know, my uh, philosophy is we're not going to try to recreate the wheel. If we find you or your organization doing it and doing it well and, and getting people on that journey of coming to know Jesus, growing to love him and living to serve him, then we'll help you. We'll, we'll invest in your ministry. So there are literally dozens of ministries in town 
that we invest in and then in our state and nation and all the way around the world. So we're going to get to celebrate a lot of that. We, we have a lot that we're doing here, but we also invest hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars every year into, into what we call missions. So that's our, that part of our vision that reaches beyond our borders. I know local schools, uh, there's an outreach that goes right into the school system. Absolutely. We, uh, we have uh, what's called a Bible club, after school Bible club. And uh, again, COVID has, has uh, put restrictions on that, but we're beginning now to do those Zoom again. So I think before long, uh, Sarah and her team will be back in. I think we're in five schools. Um, mainly those are elementary schools where we get to go in and after school and kind of do a kids' church program for those kids who are staying after school. So it's, uh, it's a real treat for them. How has COVID impacted the way that you minister as, as a pastor and, and as a, the church? You know, uh, that could take an hour, but <laughs> I'll give you the short version. The, the first thing it did was it really, it really was uh, an abrupt change in how we ministered. And uh, so realizing we, we saw immediately the value of all of our groups that, that kept people in contact with one another. That became um, just an immediate uh, important thing for us because knowing where people are at and what their needs were, we already had a good system for that in our life groups and our Sunday school classes. So we began to realize that, that in ministering, we had to just know how to stay in contact with people. And, and then, of course, we had to do all services online. And, and we had already, all of our services were streamed, so that really wasn't as difficult I think the most difficult part is when it continued. You know, the first month or two, it was we were getting used to it. We were, but when it continued through the, when we started seeing the effects of the isolation, uh, that's when it became very difficult. And and it was it was the most difficult period of my ministry uh, was dealing with all that, knowing you couldn't get to certain people. And there's still certain people we still can't go visit. But, but I had a talk with our team the other day, and I said, I know y'all are ready. We have the plan, and when the doors open, we're in, for these, we're in there with these people. People in the hospital. You know, we go to the hospitals every day, not being able to, to get with them. And it really became stressful for our team. Most people thought, oh, you're not meeting in the church, so now you have all this time. My, my time almost doubled. I was explaining to be like the time I spent from ministry and COVID almost doubled because of all the different ways we had to minister and, and, and how it interrupted all of our routines. And we had to do things so differently that it was terribly stressful. As a matter of fact, a caveat, uh, during one of those really difficult times when we were trying to help our team, because we have a large team, and if it wasn't for them, we would not have been able to do it. I mean, from day one, they turned things over and people multitasked. It didn't care what their title was or what they normally did. They signed up. They were all in, and we were able to do it. But it took its toll on everybody. But I took Pam back. Pam had never been back to the place where Terry prayed for me that day, and the Lord met me. And I took her back there one day during all this. And I said, look, the Lord called us, and you know it. And this is where he spoke it. And, well, we had a good time that day. No one lived in the house, so we didn't have to hurry. And we sat there, and I felt like he called us again. Sort of like, you know, this is a tough time, but we're going to get through it. And the way we had to minister, what we had to figure out is it's the way we've always ministered, heart to heart. We just had to figure out different ways to do it. And I really believe it's helped us. It, it, it showed weaknesses we had where we weren't in contact as much as we needed to be. So it's made us better, I believe, at ministry. And, uh, but at the same time, I am going to be glad 
when people can meet without fear of being sick. And it's, uh, I know it's coming. As you are preparing your heart for what you're going to minister on Sunday morning, um, how does the Lord speak to you to, to help you know what your congregation needs to hear? You know, one of the things, uh, how he's always done that for me, Phil, is, is in that personal walk, in that personal time in the Word, he seems to always guide me in. And, and, and when, it, when, he, when it becomes obvious what scripture or what topic we're going to talk about, that's when we do what I call the deep dive with the Lord is I just go into that place and say, okay, Lord, I know I could say all of this, but what is it that you want me to communicate? And he typically through his word, and I, again, I'm hard-headed, so through his word or through other people, you know, one of the things I've learned in the last few years is this great, uh, this great thing called collaboration. I used to write all my sermons myself, and, uh, you know, 99% of it was just me. But in the last three or four years, I, you know, we have some really awesome pastors who, who are incredible ministers on our staff. And we collaborate through a lot of the sermon series. And, uh, and so I've learned the value of that and how much richer. I've learned that I'm not the only one that can hear from the Lord, that the Lord can use some of these guys younger and older. You know, we've got them all through the generations. And so that's one of the the, what I call one of the uh, real bright spots in these last few years is is having collaboration and hearing uh, from others who love the people of Evangel just as much as I do, and so this old this old pastor's learning how to have better ears and and what I've learned is Phil he'll speak in wherever you're listening. So in that collaborative time, he'll speak through one of the other staff members, or it'll be in a devotion or a sign or something I'll read that the Lord gets it across. This is what I want my people to know that will help them follow me. What do you see uh, folks searching for uh, today? There, there's so much that has changed from COVID uh, through uh, the unrest of, of what we went through last summer uh, with, the, with the racial unrest, um, trying to figure out, um, people in their hearts, what, do my, what does my response need to be to all this? And, of course, we look to our leaders, to our pastors, to help us navigate those troubled waters. Uh, what do you see that is pressing most on people's hearts today? I believe, ultimately, people are in search of truth. They want to know what's right. All right? And, and now, obviously, they get that from different sources. I believe the truth is we find it in Jesus. All right, and in God's word, and and I think that's really the ultimate drive that everybody wants to know what is right. What what and, and with truth comes peace, mm-hmm. because you have turmoil if you don't know what's right, and so that's what's creating a lot of this. And and then justice is another thing that people want. They they want what is right for everyone. So if if if, if there's been an injustice. It unsettles people, and it robs them of their peace, and that's what we've been suffering from. But Dallas Willard has a quote. I'll use it again Sunday. Uh, it's one I look at a lot. He says, one of the hardest things in life is to not hurt people with your rightness. It's to be right and not hurt people with it. And I think that's the lesson that, that everybody needs right now. Is it's one of the hardest things to be right and not hurt other people with it. Because that seemingly is what's going on, is we're seeing a lot of hurt 
It's learning how to see things from another perspective and, and, and to have what I call empathy. You know, it doesn't matter even if someone's not right. There's still somebody created in God's image, and he loves them. And I'm glad he loved me when I wasn't right because <laughs> that still happens. <laughs> and, and I think how we treat people when we know in our heart or feel very strong, hey, I know I'm right about this, but how am I going to treat you with it? And I think Jesus taught us how to treat people when you know you're right because he was right about everything. And if you watch how he treated people who were wrong and who were misguided, I think that's where most people need to be treated like Jesus treated people. And that's what the world is missing. That's what they're lacking. That's why he, he gave up his rights. He poured his life out and gave it up for other people. And I think as people see us doing that as the church, you know, Paul will be, will be talking about that Sunday. Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering and I'm rejoicing, and you should too, because <laughs> he said, I'm giving my life for a, a purpose that I feel like is worth the sacrifice. It's worth, as you hear Paul say, it's worth more than anything I could sacrifice. And I think that's what people who really want to, if they're on that quest for truth, I think they don't need a lecture. They don't need to be straightened out. They need somebody who will walk with them on that journey and love them. What would you say would be... Um your thoughts on, um, there are a lot of churches in Columbus, uh, almost one on every corner, some people say, uh, on uh, unity and, and how do you manifest that to, to, the, to the community? Is that, okay, we're Evangel Temple, but there, there are a lot of folks who are trying to do good and, and serve the Lord, and, and do you see um, some synergy between uh, churches uh, uh, here in Columbus? I do. I mean, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, here's, you know, people will say, hey, we got a church on every corner. We don't need another church. And I always tell them, if every person in Columbus decided to go to church Sunday, we wouldn't have room for half of them. And so we've got over 100,000 people in our city that do not attend a church, do not have a church home. They don't have a place to come to experience the love of God with a family. So that's first. It's like, hey, guys, we're all important, and, and so we're all in this together. It's the big church. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the kingdom of God. And so there's tons of churches I would attend in this city if I wasn't pastoring at Evangel Temple. So I, I got guys I love to listen to. I love their ministry, and, uh, and I mean across all racial and denominational uh, borders. And, uh, so, and there's a lot more community, and, and that brings unity. And, uh, and really, if we're, we're all in this together, all right, and, and if we're all leading people on that journey of coming to know Jesus, growing to love him, living to serve him, we have to see that. And we tell people when they come to Evangel, look, come on in, make yourself at home, but if, if this isn't the place you're supposed to be and you know it, we'll help you find the place because we know that, that in different bodies and different families, there's a fit sometimes. And uh, so we, we help people, like we tell them, don't be upset. Like if you need to, after a while, you you sense this isn't the place, we'll try to help you get there. Because the most important thing for me as a pastor is not that you go to the, you know this church, to my church, it's that you follow Christ. And, and I want you to be able to follow Christ no matter what church you go to. And that's really part of what I feel like our ministry uh, point is, is listen, I don't want you to fall in love with a church. I want you to fall in love with Jesus and go to a church. 
and follow him with other people. And that way, if something happens, you have to move, or if something happens and you fall out with somebody, you still can go somewhere and follow Jesus, <laughs> and that's the most important thing. And Columbus has got a lot of great pastors, a lot of great leaders, and I'm glad you're doing this. You're going to get to talk to some of them. Mm-hmm. We don't have a corner on the market in, at Evangel Temple. We just have a place where we want to – part of our vision for reaching beyond – Sundays is to make our church a beacon of light in our community and an inviting place where they can come not just on Sunday, but on any day of the week and have community. And that's our vision. We're praying for every church in Columbus just to be a place where it's light. It's a beacon of light for hurting people. There is there is a there's a lot of people in Columbus that need to come to a place where they can enjoy God's presence with his people. Are we living in the end times? Yes, I, I believe it with all my heart. Uh, Paul talked about that it was imminent 2,000 years ago. Peter said it was imminent. Uh, there's in my there's no doubt. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. But, you know, the Bible says, Peter wrote it, with the Lord a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day. There's no doubt we live in the end times. And Jesus distilled what, what I call my eschatology, my end times teaching. He distilled it down to two words, and it's real simple. He said, be ready. Just live ready. Because I feel like it could be today or it could be another thousand years. Either way, we should live the same. We should live as though it's today, but be okay if it's another thousand years. That's Paul and Peter were talking about it being imminent. So it might be imminent may mean another thousand years, Lord, and I'm okay with that. But I need to live like it's today. And he said, be doing what I left you here to do when I come back. That's what, if you read Matthew 24 and 20, that's, that's what he says. Be ready and be doing what I left you here to do when I return. And so that's what I try to do. And I, I don't try to get too much. I don't try to get tied up in a lot of teaching of what happens after the Lord comes because that's already set and that's with him and I have no control over that. But I do have control over what I'm going to do until he comes. And, and he said, you live like it could be any moment and, and be doing what I, what I called you to do. So that's what we, I try to encourage people. Don't get caught up in the signs are all there. If you read the scriptures, there's no doubt we're in those end times. But Jesus taught us what to do. He said it was going to be really tough. He said the love of most will grow cold. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be all this. But these things must happen. And then the exciting part, he said, but if you stand firm to the end, you'll be saved. And he said this gospel is going to be preached over the entire world, and then the end will come. So we still have work to do, I believe. And we still have work to get the gospel to those that do not know him. And so that's really what I feel like we should be doing when he comes back. You've been in the pulpit now 10, 11 years at, at Evangel. What moments, uh, moment or moments, um, most stick out in your mind as to what, what some people call God moments, things that really clearly were examples of divine intervention where you knew that what happened happened because the Lord orchestrated it. You know, I, uh, boy, that's one of those where so many, uh, I've, I probably would put it into categories. You've been there at times when you know the spirit of the Lord moves and you realize you don't need to preach anymore. You don't need to do anything, but let people come and enjoy his presence. And I've seen people healed in the, in his presence like that. I've seen people get set free. Uh, as a pastor, you know things that others don't, 
So when someone comes and prays for somebody a certain way and you know the background and what's going on, I've seen that happen. And then you know that's the Lord. Like that person could never know what they're saying. They could have no way of knowing what they're saying over this person they don't know. And those are the moments where people, we had a, not too long ago we had one, uh, a person called me and said they were bringing a loved one who was severely depressed and, and, uh, and I got to watch her, uh, I got to watch the Lord do a work in her life and her give her heart to the Lord. And, uh, and that's the, the, the part that's, and, and with COVID not being able to come and get in proximity, it's been harder, but still people will send in and say, you know what you were preaching on this, or you were saying this and the Lord spoke. Uh, that's the, that's when I know and he does it enough for me. That's like putting fuel It's putting another log on the fire. Uh, I want to be doing this when he comes back, but I was, I also want, to stay out of his way. People ask me what my number one job business is to stay out of the Lord's way and let him use me in such a way and, and to know when to back up. And, and, uh, and also the other side of that is, is seeing him use other people feel, uh, in ministry. And, uh, you know, I had a lady come and sit down beside me a, a little while back. And so I really feel like the Lord wants me to, to, uh, say something. And, you know, for a pastor fixing to go up you say, Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, tell me, a little bit of about what he's told you and uh and she basically gave me the outline of my sermon and i said well come follow me come on i'll let you and so she got to say it first <laughs> <laughs> and then and then just recently a guy came i was done after three services i was done and i was sweating i was tired and i was ready to i told patrick close the service and uh, and one of our other pastors came who was sitting in the back and said hey i just felt like the lord said do an altar call and he said, I just sense people are sitting on the edge of their seat, Pastor. And I, I'm two minutes from closing, but I just felt like the Lord said, do it. And so I went up, and the altar filled up, filling it, and people were getting saved and, and delivered and healed. And, and so those are the times when, when I was done, but yet he was sitting at a vantage point and, and could hear from the Lord too that you know, okay, keep doing what you're doing. I'm at work, and, uh, and we're not done yet. Maybe not fair to ask a pastor a question like this, but um, do you have a favorite Bible verse? It's like asking a singer his favorite song. But yeah. you know, I uh, there's a few. You know, I've been accused of really being fond of Paul's writings. Uh, matter of fact, my pastor that was his. I said, please tell me something that I need to do as pastor, and he, he wouldn't. He said, Tony, you're doing great. You're doing great. And he said, All right. He said, You might want to. You got to preach outside of Paul's letters. I said, All right, <laughs> but but. Philippians happens to be the book we're in now. Uh, when Paul gives the, the, when he talks about the peace that passes all understanding, most people know about that peace. And you say, have you heard of that? They say, yeah. And I say, Did you, have you heard the, do you know the, what the prerequisites are? And, and Paul gives the pathway to peace. I've written it out. I tell people I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to prescribe this scripture to you. I prescribe Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 6 on almost a weekly basis, and it's the pathway to peace. He said, don't be anxious about anything, mm-hmm. but in everything, bring your request and supplications to God with thanksgiving, and then the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so that's what I call the pathway to peace. I've had to walk it. I've got it worn out because I'll get anxious about something. I'll say, okay, Lord, I'm coming to you. And when I teach people what that passage means, it means I'm going to come to you with what I need, but I'm going to go ahead and thank you for what you're going to do because I don't know what it's going to be, 
It may be something totally different than I'm asking, but I know you know best. So I'm going to go ahead and thank you. Then that peace comes. So that's one of my favorites. And then the other would probably be uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in hey, the that's Lord mine. with all your heart. Yep. And lean not on your own understanding. Because I'll have to walk a lot of people through. We don't understand this. I had prayed with a young couple that lost a child recently. And we couldn't understand that if we had a million lifetimes. But we chose to hold hands and trust God together. He said, don't you lean on your understanding. You just acknowledge who I am, and I'll keep your path straight. So I, I live on those scriptures, and many like it, where I have put them in my heart, and I walk that path because I've been in situations where I don't understand him, but I choose to trust him with all my heart. Well, speaking of heart, thank you for sharing yours with our viewers tonight on this very first podcast of Faces of Faith. I appreciate your integrity. I like the fact, Paul, that you're you. Yeah. Uh, there's no pretense. You get what you get. And, and in the pulpit, Paul Thomas is the same person that's sitting across from me at this table. And I think people, uh, a congregation, appreciates a pastor that is real. And uh, so thank you for being my first guinea pig tonight. Amen. Enjoyed it. I, uh, I hope that uh, our viewers have enjoyed it. And, and again, maybe down the road, as we'll see how this unfolds, perhaps we'll, we'll have you back. But if not, we'll see you on Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Paul. We just want to remind our viewers tonight that you can watch the Faces of Faith that will stream live on WRBL.com every Thursday night. 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central Time. You can watch the replay the very next day on our website at wrbl.com. And then coming soon, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Audible so you can listen to the show on the go. Meanwhile, that's going to do it for this first edition of Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. Thank you for watching tonight. And whatever you're going through, just remember, always keep the faith. Good night.